Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Lucas Stock. And I am Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Please join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So, it's been a few weeks. I don't remember exactly how many, but we are bringing back for at least a couple weeks uh, creeds and confessions, but we're doing it differently than we have. Um, Instead of walking through a creed or a confession, uh, instead of picking up with the Augsburg where we left off or starting something new, we thought for the next couple weeks, we'll see how long it ends up going for. We might we might do it a long time or maybe just two, we don't know. But um, we are going to actually take two different confessions of faith and compare the articles or the, or the paragraphs that they have on the same topic. So we uh, specifically are going to be looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith um, for the next couple weeks, and we're going to compare what, well, I guess compare and contrast what they have to say on a given issue or a given doctrine, a given point of the confession. So to start for, for today, we are going to be looking at the articles on baptism. We figured, you know, look, comparing the 1689 confession to any other confession, in my mind, baptism is kind of a natural place to start since in a lot of ways that's what's unique and distinctive about the 1689 is that it's a Baptist confession because it's not the only Reformed confession. It's not the only English confession, but it is the first. I mean, now it's not the only, but at the time it was the only Baptist English Reformed confession, right? So um, that's kind of just the background into why we picked baptism. It's more or less just because we thought it would be interesting. (laughs) But um, what, what we have done is separately basically just kind of looked at uh both confessions their sections on baptism and we've just kind of made observations we've kind of taken some notes as to things that uh stick out to us or overlap or are different and um we wanted to point those things out take a look at what we found most interesting and kind of just talk about it specifically as as not talking about different denominations or talking about different theologians, but we're looking at the actual text of the confession. So obviously, many different people may subscribe to the Westminster or the 1689 and different denominations or whatever. But we're looking we're we're more this is more of just a textual comparison, right? We're just looking at what do these documents actually say about baptism? And how do they compare? So that's kind of what we wanted to do. And hopefully, we are successful. We'll find out soon, I guess. Um, so I don't know. Do we? I haven't thought about this. Do we want to start by reading these? I was thinking sections? that just now too. It might be a good idea. Uh, the only other thing I'll say before we do read it is that the reason that this is especially interesting, like comparing the Westminster to the 1689, is because the 1689 London Baptist Confession is primarily based on the Westminster Confession of Faith. So they use the Westminster as their like starting block. Uh, and so we actually will we'll link to this in case anybody's interested. But we found a website that like literally shows all of the minor and major differences between these two confessions of faith. Um, so like as you have Presbyterians on the Westminster side and Baptists on the 1689 side, how do those two people, even though these are documents that one is based on the other, 
how are they different? So that's that's really like what's going to be most interesting as we compare and contrast. So do you want to first read the uh, the Westminster and then I'll read the 1689? Perfect. Sure. All right. So uh, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 28 is of baptism. And it reads, Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ, not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church, but also to be unto him a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of his ingrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remission of sins, and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life, which sacrament is by Christ's own appointment to be continued in his church until the end of the world. The outward element to be used in this sacrament is water, wherewith the party is to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, by a minister of the gospel lawfully called thereunto. Dipping of the person into the water is not necessary, but baptism is rightly administered by pouring or sprinkling water upon the person. Not only those that do actually profess faith in and obedience unto Christ, but also the infants of one or both believing parents are to be baptized. Although it be a great sin to contemn or neglect this ordinance, yet grace and salvation are not so inseparably annexed unto it as that no person can be regenerated or saved without it, or that all that are baptized are undoubtedly regenerated. The efficacy of baptism is not tied to that moment of time wherein it is, it is administered, yet notwithstanding, by the right use of this ordinance, the grace promised is not only offered, but really exhibited and conferred by the Holy Ghost, to such, whether of age or infants, as that grace belongeth unto, according to the counsel of God's own will in his appointed time. The sacrament of baptism is but once to be administered unto any person. So that is chapter, 20, chapter 28 of the Westminster. There's a lot there, you know, like, you know, there's a lot there, but we're going to come back and talk about both yep. of these. So if you miss, you know, a detail about from what I just read or what Jens is about to read, we're going to come back and talk about stuff. So, so right. don't, don't fret. Yeah. And so as I read this one, I just want to note that the, I'm reading it from this like tabular comparison. And so it's actually reoriented the paragraphs so that it lines up to show um, in comparison to what the Westminster wrote. So it actually is paragraph one, three, four, two as opposed to reading it in the order that the 1689 has it. Just so you know, in case you were following along in a 1689. Uh, but the, the London Baptist Confession starts out by saying, Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament, ordained by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized, a sign of his fellowship with him in his death and resurrection, and of his being engrafted into him, of remission of sins, and of giving up into God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. The outward element to be used in this ordinance is water, wherein the party is to be baptized in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Immersion, or dipping of the person in water, is necessary to the due administration of this ordinance. Those who do actually profess repentance towards God, faith in, and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ are the only proper subjects of this ordinance. So you already note that this is significantly shorter. I mean, three paragraphs length shorter than the Westminster. So what, where do we want to start in comparing these two? Maybe some people have already picked up on some of the words I highlighted, um, some of the, um, you know, the, the mode, how, how somebody is to be baptized. What do you think is a good starting place? 
I think a good starting point is the beginning of both of these chapters because that's where they they both start out by saying what baptism does, that's a what good baptism yeah. is, right? So they're 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 not identical. There are some a couple of differences, um, but they both do cover a lot of the same stuff. Everything that the 1689 says is said by the Westminster, um, to my reading at least. And most of what the Westminster said is is also still there in the 1689. So um, first of all, they're, 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 they both trace baptism back to Christ. It's, it's ordained of Christ from the New Testament. It's a New Testament ordinance or sacrament. That, that's the first difference right off the bat is, is there's not that sacramental language in the 1689. Um, but Christ himself, according to both of these documents, ordained baptism to be performed in the church. And then they go on to say that this ordinance slash sacrament does certain things, right? Um, and those certain things in the um, in the Westminster are that it is a sign and seal of the covenant of grace being grafted into Christ, regeneration, remission of sins, and newness of life. Um, and as well as being... Uh, a sign of being a fellowship in the church, but it's not, it's not only that the 1689 says it's a sign of fellowship with Christ, grafting into Christ, remission of sins and newness of life. So right off the bat, I, I don't know if I missed anything point, point out if I did, but th- that's sort of how I would like summarize what each document is saying. Right. Baptism does. And the differences are to me, they're, they're, they're really interesting, right? Yeah, so yeah. the, the big difference is, are that the Westminster talks about baptism being a sign and seal. And it talks about it being a sign and seal of the covenant of grace and regeneration. And those three things, language of seal as well as sign and language of of covenant of grace and regeneration, are what's missing from the 1689 when compared to the Westminster. Right. Um, and I think that's really interesting because it is basically a removal of sacramental language. Well, right? I mean, they've so even changed o- the word of sacrament. That's why they're calling right. it an ordinance. Not only is it an ordinance instead of a sacrament, but regeneration, the covenant, is not what's being signed and sealed for the 1689. And so it, my reading, you know, is that it, it's a, it's a, now, I've funnily enough, actually written about a different sacrament that the 1689 talks about. So I'm not here claiming that the 1689 is non-sacramental. However, I do think that there is a significantly less sacramental way of speaking um, from the Westminster to the 1689 here on baptism. Yeah, for and sure. I find that really interesting. And I think it, it to me, it, it, it centers around this idea of the, the, the Westminster is willing to tie later on it qualifies this but it does tie regeneration to baptism um it's a sign and seal of regeneration that's just the words that it says it qualifies it later what it means by that but that's not something that the 1689 is willing to do and it seems rather consistent with baptist soteriology um 
when contrasted with a more traditional reformed soteriology that the the sacrament itself or ordinance to me that's the same thing it doesn't that difference isn't as important as the meat of there's not this regeneration right and it's not a seal of remission of sins it's a sign of my fellowship with christ grafting into christ remission of sins and newness of life um, see that's and, interesting and I, think, I i just will say i i almost want to contend that like that these aren't just interchangeable um like sacrament or ordinance like i would almost want to contend mm-hmm. that there is like a fundamental difference or else they wouldn't have changed the word like if there was just no. like the like oh it's just a yeah. word we use instead like why wouldn't we have just left sacrament knowing that we can talk about it either way but like that Absolutely. intentional change from sacrament to ordinance i think is playing into exactly what you're saying like that's that's that, that's a really justification for why this isn't why the baptists even historically have not been nearly as sacramental in their theology and their speech yeah. and in their confession yeah you're right i should i should uh i should rephrase i should rephrase that because that you're i i completely agree with you i think you're right i think that whether or not it says sacrament or ordinance to me the what, what i meant was the reason there's that difference isn't just in the word itself right, okay. it's in this these descriptions okay that, right that so you're sense. right there is this key difference which is why they're saying they're choosing to change it to ordinance and i think that key difference is it comes from the fact that when we read on they've removed um language of regeneration and grace being tied directly to baptism itself right so instead of baptism once again being a sign and seal of the covenant of grace Actually, baptism is a sign of these things. And as we'll mention later, or as the 1689 will mention a little bit later, the reason that that happens is the people who are coming to baptism have already experienced regeneration. They've already experienced the covenant of grace, and they've already been sealed with the Spirit. At least that would be my theological interpretation of, of the, the way that it talks about those who are to be baptized. Um, in a later paragraph. So maybe now's a good time to move on from paragraph one sure. to, to maybe talking about um, the other, you know, there, there, there are two, in my mind, there are two other big differences. That's who is to be baptized and that's the mode of baptism. Um, we can cover these in either order. It doesn't necessarily matter to me, but um, obviously, and perhaps like sort of, you knew this, even if you've never heard of, uh, either of these confessions, you could probably figure out the Baptist confession says that you don't baptize babies and the reformed confession says that you do baptize babies. Right. So that's, that's a big difference. Right. Um, and, and I think that that, that, like I was just saying, that ties into this, this different in sacramentology where, um, you don't have the sacrament being used by God instrumentally in the same way when you remove baptism from um, infants. It's no longer a cause of faith, it's a result of faith, right? It's no longer connected to the beginning of your life in Christ so much as it's a um, tangible representation, a sign of the beginning of your life in Christ, right? Um, and, and maybe that's unfair. I'm not trying to, you know, that's just, that's my read on it. Um, and... And so, clearly, if if the like the sixteen eighty nine is not saying people don't get regenerated, 
right? They take out the language of regeneration, but they're not saying people just don't get regenerated. It's just that regeneration has moved. It's now prior to baptism. I, I would say in a more traditional Baptist point of view, which is why you would only baptize believers. You would only baptize those, I forget the exact language, those who, uh, those who truly profess um, repentance towards God, uh, faith in him and obedience right. to Jesus. Right. Um, so instead of being not only those people, but also their infants, their children, it's only those people, which means um, that that sort of explains where regeneration went, where that language of, of a, a quote unquote higher sacramentology, the reason it can go away for the Baptist is because um, the ordinance is not sort of doing that anymore hmm. um, when compared to, to what the Westminster, and especially when compared to what earlier um, traditions of Christianity, like, like in medieval Catholicism and, and, and you know, elsewhere, um, where the sacrament is much more a cause rather than a result. If, if that makes sense, I hope it does. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, but that being said, um, you baptize the same, there's the same key elements, water and the triune name, right? Um, I'm always really happy when I see that because that's like the one thing that sort of binds us all together is yeah. that we're all truly baptized when we're baptized that way. Um, so... That's good. <laughs> and yeah. then, uh, well, I mean, um, like in it, that in that same like conversation, though, I, I I even though there are these like major significant differences in, in the, how the text is written, um, again, we'll link to this. But on this document, I'm actually really fascinated by some of the the more minor changes that are made. So, like instead of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in the Westminster, the the 1689 says Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I'm curious, like, what, you know, not much time has passed between the writing of these two documents. It's like 50 years or something. So like why the difference between ghost and spirit um, or the difference between in grafting with an I and n grafting with an E, you know, back up in, in paragraph one. Like, is there even a difference? What's the significant change from in to n grafting? Um, but uh, what's really fascinating to me, and it is one of the more major differences here, is that... Um, the Westminster says dipping of the person into water is not necessary. So they don't have to be dipped. Um, but for baptism to be rightly administered, it says baptism is rightly administered by pouring or sprinkling water upon the person. So that's the Westminster's side. The 1689 then says immersion or the dipping of the person in water is necessary to the due administration of this ordinance. Like, I think that that, that difference is significant. Like I, 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 it'd yeah. be, I mean, we can almost devote an entire episode to the, the differences between how someone is to be baptized. Um, but with that, I also want to call out paragraph seven of the Westminster that says the sacrament of baptism is but once to be administered to any person. That paragraph is just completely done away with. There's no note on it in the 1689. And I have to imagine it's because Baptists were pretty well known for rebaptizing infants who were baptized so whether it was catholics or maybe in this case presbyterians um, who were just kind of nominally baptized as a child who then wanted to be baptized later in life as they professed faith in christ i mean the same thing happens today there are i mean i, I literally was a youth pastor at a baptist church where a baptist church where we baptized people who were baptized as infants 
Um, I was so, baptized twice. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if I knew that. Um, so yeah, that's that's a good. Uh, One of my great shames <laughs> that you've been baptized twice. Well, according. Well, I mean, to... okay. I was baptized once when I was when I was an infant. Okay. However, I I did go through a baptism twice in my okay. life. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, that's that's interesting how the sacrament of baptism is but once to be administered to any person, and I and I'd be really curious to read some you know an elaborated explanation of this. Like if there's if there's ever been people who will even like condemn people who have been baptized twice, or if there's some sort of like significant spiritual problem for being baptized twice, or if it's just one of those things that's like, well, don't don't keep doing that to other people you know. Like sorry, Lucas, that you were baptized twice, but like. Don't tell other people to do that if you encounter them or... I don't know. I'm just kind of curious what the history is on some of that. But it's just interesting. Again, as, as the 1689 based their entire confession on the Westminster to show that they were ecumenical, to show that they were a part of the great tradition. Yet we're seeing here in the Baptist, you know, ch- this is chapter 29 or whatever, um, showing how significantly different they are, f- not only from Presbyterians, but from much of church history. Um yeah, so I'm curious what you have to say about about immersion versus, you know, pouring that that line about baptism being administered once. Like, what 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 is some of the significance there? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's it's very unsettling that anyone would seriously claim that immersion is necessary, because that's that that's a very strong claim with very little to back it up. It's completely unattested in church history that that is a view that that's necessary. Um, I don't. You could say it's preferred, but yeah, the the fact that like saying that immersion is necessary to the due yeah. administration, like they're saying, like you must be immersed for this to be done properly, is what right. Like, basically, what you're this literally saying. To. Forget about infant versus uh, believer. You're literally saying if someone is poured or sprinkled, they are not baptized. Yeah, I, like, I personally, as someone who does more or less like the 1689, I don't like this little article here. Um, cause like, what do you do with people who literally cannot be, you know, dipped or immersed? Like someone who's handicapped, somebody, um, who, you know, maybe is elderly. They were never a Christian, so they weren't baptized as an infant, like can't even make it down into the baptismal. Like what's, what's so bad about, you know, pouring over that person's head? Like maybe they would make an exception, but if you're going to make the exception, why not note it here? Like, you know, immersion is necessary unless unable to do so, or like unless circumstance does not allow, yeah. or whatever. And then it's not necessary. Well, right, right. So, yeah, I just I think it's very untenable. Um, as far as whether like why someone would would put in their confession that it's it's to only happen once, it because they actually believe it does something. All of all of of the church throughout all of history has condemned being baptized more than once. That's why you would save bat. That's why the practice grew to save baptism until your deathbed, because they believed it was so important that it literally forgave sins, and that I could not be forgiven of my sins afterwards if I sinned after I was baptized. So I'm going to wait because I can't do it again. That's a wrong view that doesn't come from a proper understanding of of God's word, and 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 that is a view that 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 was corrected over the course of the history of the church and is not um, widely practiced or believed today. But, but my point is there like, that's the reason that view that that's where that view comes from is, is if you could be baptized a bunch of times, who would care if, if you fell out of grace, right? You just go get baptized again, but that's not how it works. We, we, we as Paul says, are baptized into Christ. We put on Christ. We are, we are, 
that 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 is a that is a one-time thing you know what i mean if you're if you're doing it over and over again you're you're actually changing what baptism is um so i I think it's a huge deal and i i would definitely agree it is to be done but once it Mm. is to be but once administered to any unto any person um and I think that they were kind of backed into a corner maybe when they were editing the Westminster into the 1689, you know, still, or I shouldn't say that, like, like starting with the six, the Westminster and they see paragraph seven, they're like, well, you know, we've all just baptized ourselves again. <laughs> and they're, you know, like, right. Let's just leave this out. Like, I feel like they're, they're kind of, I, I don't, I don't know any Baptist. In fact, every Baptist I know would not rebaptize um, people who, who like like they might rebaptize the infants but like they wouldn't just say oh yeah baptize get get baptized whenever you feel like it right you know? exactly like, right 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 or like oh hey pastor you know I was baptized last year after camp you know I, I don't feel like it was legit you know but now I really feel like I've repented you know ba- can you baptize me again like I don't, I don't actually know in real life any Baptist who would say yes to that yeah, at least like, I hope not <laughs> uh, yeah and, uh, and and that's because that's that's you know that that's there's a re, there's the reason for that is that baptism is is something you know it is this reading from the 1689 it is a sign of my remission of sins my newness of life i don't need multiple signs you know what i mean i have i have i have been baptized i am baptized so i, I am I think curious that's where that i comes think from. personally what i think and i i wasn't theologically astute enough to be able to articulate this when i was a youth pastor at a baptist church but personally I think what would be more preferable instead of baptizing, like instead of, you know, so that, let's just say that there was somebody who was as an infant baptized who, you know, grew up Catholic, uh, nominally Catholic and then later in life wants to get baptized as a professing believer. Like I personally now where I am in my life would not want to baptize that person a second time. I would um, point them back to their first baptism and, and show theologically what, even if that was, you know, your family was just Catholic, they went to church, you know, every now and then and you were baptized. But like to talk about theologically the reality of baptism, what it is, the sign, the seal, all that we've already talked about. Um, but personally, I think that's yeah. what we should do as a more or less committed Baptist. Like I do not think we should be rebaptizing other people who have been baptized as infants, basically is what I'm trying to say. And so my wish would be that the 1689 would have retained that little line and also the practice of not rebaptizing. That's just me personally. Yeah. Well, you're right. But you've <laughs> just you've betrayed your whole camp. They're all gonna come at you on Twitter now. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <I'm kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> um there I feel like there's something else I was gonna say. The, that, well that, the other thing I wanted to mention, maybe this will spark yeah. your mind, is that um I do like that the Westminster qualifies like basically saying you know don't condemn don't neglect this ordinance like the westminster calls it an ordinance there um but we'll say the sacrament um basically like it's not they they're they're trying to communicate that it's not required to be regenerated or to be to save to be saved like you can be regenerated you can be saved without baptism like think of the thief on the cross who literally like Christ said you're going to be with me in paradise, but he wasn't baptized. So we can say that, like, to, to spend eternity with Christ, you don't have to be baptized. But you still should seek it. You should not contemn or neglect it. Um, but at the same time, 
not all that are baptized are undoubtedly regenerated. Like, I just like that they include that little clause there so as to, you know, get rid of any thought that, like, just because somebody was baptized, it means that they're a Christian and that they're going to be spending eternity with Christ. Like, to be baptized isn't just some magic ritual that's performed to earn salvation, um, but a life is to be lived following that baptism that is lived in Christ, being engrafted into him, all the other things that it said. I don't know if that sparked your mind or if there was something else, but I, I like that little qualification there. Yeah, no, I, whatever was on my mind was something else, but it's gone, which is, which is fine. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good example of a, a reformed, you know, a reformation, well, a specifically reformed approach. Um, I, I, I tend to be a little more Lutheran in my baptismal theology, so to me that leaves me rather confused how is it a sign and seal of regeneration if regeneration isn't necessarily tied to baptism and that the efficacy of baptism um, in paragraph six is not tied to the moment when it's administered? So baptism gives me grace, but it doesn't necessarily give me grace when it happens. Like, this is a different conversation for a different episode, but I personally find the I find the the I find the, the Westminster a little confusing on this point it, it it seems in some respects to be talking out of both sides of its mouth but um I'm sure that's an issue with me not, not <laughs> the Westminster divines but but um but yeah I mean I think it's a it's a really fruitful exercise to do things like this and I'm Agreed. excited to do next week's so we're going to come back and do this with a different article from these two confessions and and maybe we'll just do this more often you know yeah. like, like let us wh- know whether, for sure let us know yeah, if you like this if this if this if this was interesting fruitful helpful um, if it worked well in terms of format we'd love to know um, but I think we'll call it there and um, just kind of leave, leave on that note just just uh, you know these are these are like Jensen said, we've got that that really cool com- comparison document between the two, and then also individually, these are both very accessible online or in print. So, shout out Parasia Books for um, the new edition of the 1689, as well as plenty of really really good editions. I have a PCA edition of the Westminster here, which is like gorgeous. Um, so, uh, let us know what you thought about this episode and this format for Creeds and Confessions, and. Um, and as well as what you think about uh, baptism, because we like talking about it here. Um, but regardless, thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of our little Doxology podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast, or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com for feedback, questions, or episode ideas. We'd love to hear from you, and we will catch you in the next episode. Peace.